that's a long or a big journey. Um, but what do, what do you what do you think people are gonna really need to hear today? I like the maybe the transition between thinking that you're running everything on shoestring, you have to do everything yourself. To the there's actually like a team in place. There's some structures there, but you don't feel like you've lost the the heartbeat of the business or like where you started with, like you have, you don't have to give that up and you don't have to give up full ownership in order to get to that second stage. Oh, I like that. So that transition, you talked about shoestring and you said something else after, and I really, I was like writing and trying to catch it. Sort of like a shoestring budget or like a, where you have to wear all the hats, you have to do everything yourself. You have to um, be 24 seven on call for your business. Like that's not the only reality of the entrepreneur's own business. No, you can absolutely. And recognizing that transition, um, right. Being able to prepare for it and to hit it. That's good. That's really good. Okay. What's that? What else, man? Hit me hard on this. Uh, <clears throat> we entrepreneurs need the crap beat out of us by CFOs oftentimes. So let's, let's uh, see those makers. The other part that's maybe a bit of a shift is if you begin by focusing on cash, at some points you need to shift towards, how do I focus on equity or like building value into the business? Some people get it backwards. And if they're, if they're trying to build value to the business from the beginning, sometimes they have a hobby or not. All right. Welcome in to Vision Pros Live with Jackson Callum. I'm your show host. We will be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there. Hey, what's up? And welcome in to Vision Pros Live. I'm your host, Jackson Callum, founder and CEO of First Class Business. I'm excited to have Ryan Holden on. We're going to be talking about the $100 million journey, okay? We're going to be talking about business growth at super levels. Um, I highly recommend buckling up, jumping in. We're going to talk about acronyms that you may have never heard of. We're going to talk about mergers and acquisitions and, and, and private equity firm, venture capitalists, and how to go about this journey perhaps even without their help um, and their solutions. We're going we're gonna to dive in and, and it's going to be Ryan who really dictates which route we go with that because this is about his vision. But I know enough about that stuff to be extremely dangerous um, and also be on point at times. Um, so with that said, I want to talk about some of the things that we're doing to grow our business without venture capitalists. Um, and that would be ColdClick. ColdClick helps us with our LinkedIn automation. It gets us in front of excellent people like Ryan um, and like uh, all the other people that have been pre-interviewed. Any, any show you go to, um, I would say 25 to 30% of the guests have come about because of our LinkedIn automation. And you know that's allowing us to get in front of extremely high quality people with a message that we have to determine is appropriate for our audience. So if you're trying to get in front of people, it's not enough to just get an automation system. You also wanna make sure that your message is inviting and warm and gets people to want to take the next step with you. Um, too many people are doing that in ways where they're trying to get people to marry them from day one. And they're like, hey, check out these case studies. We're amazing. And, and it's just very off-putting. If you're doing that, you're probably not winning very well in business. Um, now, on the flip side or the other side of that sponsor thingy, um, I'm losing my words today. It's kind of late. Um, Simply Fast Websites. That's one of our other sponsors that we've got up there. Now, this is not a solution that I use. This is a solution that I wish I had had access to when I was first launching my brands because Shane Michaels built this, this uh, program to where he can help people build their websites at $179. Uh, I spent a ton of money and a ton of time trying to strategically build up my website. I knew a lot about websites. Um, I knew a lot. I knew I could use Squarespace for free. I knew I could use Wix for free, et cetera. But Simply Fast Websites is kind of one of those things where it, when I was starting out, I wish I had known about it. I wish it had existed. Because to get somebody to get another web designer to work with me um, on that type of a budget and help me understand what I could do to, to build my website out would have been very helpful. I would have saved probably between seven and seven thousand and fifteen thousand um, dollars on my front end launch. And so it's just a resource that I want people to be aware of that are newer to the business realm. Now, again, we're going to be jumping in today and talking about hundred million dollar businesses. Um, if that's not your cup of tea. Maybe this one, the show, or this episode won't be for you. Um, the water project, though, before we go into Ryan uh, and talk to Ryan Holden, I want to mention the water project because there's lots of people out there who don't even have access to clean drinking water. We have an opportunity 
to help them get just that. And what's really cool is you get to see the community that you actually affect. You get to choose which community you want to support. You get to learn about how they end up creating the filter, the filtered water systems as well. Um, and at the same time, you get to see the outcome of the dollar that you put in. If you know of a charity that you'd rather support, um, then do us a favor, drop it in the, drop it in the comments because you just never know how many people will get access to the show, who will end up deciding to contribute to that. And there's a lot of causes out there. There's a lot of people with a lot of needs. And I always like to take a little bit of time on the show to make sure that we put life in perspective and say, well, there's 8 billion people on this earth that we really need to help. And most of them need serious help beyond what it is that we ourselves need. Um, what a great opportunity to step up and uh, and provide some help to those in need. So um, without further ado, I'm going to bring Ryan on. I'm actually going to have him help me on his introduction for his bio because we did a we did a pre-show to talk about it, but I don't I don't want to miss the accolades. I don't want to misrepresent him either, and I want you as an audience to understand what his value is in the market. So, Ryan, I really appreciate having you on the show, and uh, thanks for thanks for joining me on Vision Pros Live. Thanks for having me, Jackson. Yeah, I'd love to start with an introduction. I sort of built the beginnings of my career uh, ten years plus with one um, founder-led, somewhat family business-style company. And that had different departments within it that felt to me a little bit more analogous to small business. The overall corporate parent would be in the hundred million, potentially billion dollar range of what it's doing. And so for there, I got to see sort of sort of the back end of what some companies might call a roll-up or a hold co of just sort of seeing different businesses come together, seeing that size. And I got to contribute at that larger level, but also got to have more hands-on work uh, leading some of the smaller efforts. So I got to see a little bit of a first taste of big and small together in that that approach. And wow. then more recently in my career, I've been able to shift more from that employee aspect, um, got my MBA, did my certified management account to sort of build out the strategy tools, accounting tools, um, and now focus on serving companies that begin even at the you know, $3 million, $5 million uh, level that are starting to begin that shift towards heading in that $100 million direction. And have come to a point where they're they're hitting a ceiling and they're maxing out. They're not quite sure what to do next, and I can help them layer that in and start to build out their structure that way. Love that, and you know we're gonna we're gonna skip defining these acronyms. And you know if, if you're at the three three million to five million dollar mark, then you like you know what those are, or you need to immediately. Um, you know so you understand the 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 ground that you're playing on. Um, as you're moving forward, you know, not being babysat through the process of understanding these terms from, a, you know, I want to nurture people and help everybody understand every term, but we only have 45 minutes. So we're going to be diving in a lot deeper into that $100 million conversation. So who should be listening to this? You mentioned 3 million to five business owners that are making three to 5 million. Um, and mm -hmm. there's probably some other aspects of, of, uh, pre-qualification for, for the audience as well. And why should they listen to you, Ryan? Yeah, well, the the usual open door for my clientele happens to be the $3 million to $5 million business owner that wants to keep on building. Um, but my focus with this conversation is more, a little bit more broad, like looking at what the value is for bringing that. And sometimes it comes back to, you know, where they live and what you want to do. Like not 100% of us will be living in a, you know, coastal urban city just really enjoying that life and just loving that all of our products come from, you know, a billion dollar company somewhere, but compared to sort of having that last mile delivery, whether that's, you know, a plumber that's highly ethical and does exactly what he says and he shows up and he takes care of your house and you don't feel like you got, you know, shocked or surprised through the process or whatever else it may be as you sort of see the, the different smaller towns or um, secondary tertiary markets in our communities doing their job well. So I think, there's that side from a consumer perspective for anybody that don't want, doesn't want to live in the hustle and bustle of maybe urban course across the U.S. Um, and then alternatively from the other end of the picture, um, for those that value having those type of people in their communities, you know, you may know the person that always shows up for when, you know, county council is coming up for election or the, the key person in your church where, you know, you have a fundraising drive and all of a sudden, there's quite a bit raised because one person has seeded those funds. So like those are the kind of people in our communities. And often they're not somebody who's necessarily just a uh, attorney or a banker or that sort of professional person, but they're often somebody that's been in the community for 10, 20 years and has that kind of value to share with the community because of what they've built. So for me, I find valuable helping people get there and um, encouraging that path so that they can be there, they can stay there 
and they don't feel like they have to opt out of that once they, you know, don't want to work as hard, don't want to be pulling the serial entrepreneur or investment makers hours in their business. Okay, very good. And and the people that I've 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 got this um, your bio on here too, so people can really if you if you're not list if you're not watching and you're listening in, you can to you can turn on into YouTube and you can see the project experience and the industry experience that Ryan has as well. Um, we'll have these links, by the way, in the show notes so that you can you can dive in there too. Um, now let's take a look and, and see what's your vision for those that you serve. Let's dive deeper into that. What's the what's the outcome or the journey that you want to see them experience? A lot of it just becomes, you know, helping put some structure and predictability into their business. You know, I don't want them to live super risky or feeling like they're all stressed in what they're doing, but they can feel like there's a way to be empowered in the business that they're serving. Often the entrepreneur or the, or the person who's truly running one of those, you know, one to million dollar businesses is very relational. They're very sales motivated. And so they sort of accept some of this. But over time, as they build that out, they realize that the team is depending on them. Uh, potentially their spouse and their kids are wanting to need more of their time. They're, they want a little bit more predictability into that. So my first vision is just to like, you know, give them a little bit more visibility into what's going on and then help them clean up maybe some of the gaps that are in their organization. So if we can fix a couple of those gaps, fix potentially some of those leaks, and then the money flows to where it should flow, that allows them to reinvest in their team, that allows them to potentially Take them home depending on their on their vision for it you know maybe they're already happy with what they're taking home but they just want to put the business in a better footing and then realize hey you know the seedlings broken open we've tried these things before they haven't worked but with somebody experienced like myself on or whoever whatever the team members they bring along they then have the ability to start to build out where they're going so for me i more do this as a, as a very part-time basis for any single client and so it's accessible for them to work with me uh, other clients that are on the larger end of my spectrum, they've already sort of done most of the shift to, from moving from this owner operator founder type situation into more of a management team. And so that management team allows that uh, diversity of strengths to come in from different functional areas. Some things that you see in a little bit larger businesses will be not just finance, like my specialty, but, you know, human resources are getting a little bit stronger, um, operations, sales, marketing, getting a little bit more divided up and a little bit more of a coordination effort required to coordinate across all of that. Um, so with my, my goal for them being to realize they can take that next step. They're not just maxed out by the ceiling of who they are or what they've come to, to know so far. They don't have to be the best person in every single thing in their business. Um, and they don't, they can don't, don't just have to rely on, you know, hiring a VA or having like a key sales person or operating person, but then, they can have the right corporate structure that allows that business to keep on multiplying. Mm. <clears throat> okay. So these businesses that are at the $3 million to $5 million mark, um, what's the biggest leak from a, a cash flow standpoint that you've seen? Um, and like how much how much was the leak? And you know, how fast were you able to turn around uh, the the cash flow problem on that? So I would say maybe the biggest um, missed piece there is sort of understanding the, the difference between the revenue stream and the cost structure and realizing how those are different. And, um, so the cost structure is more what you're committed to to keep the business going. So say if you're really close with all your staff, you don't do seasonal layoffs. Even if your staff is doing direct labor type things, um, there's more of a fixed costs or capacity that you're committed to being in business, you're committing to having a certain amount of, you know, labor hours happening. You're sort of on the hook for those costs, regardless of how much revenue you're pulling through. So really understanding the appropriate amount of revenue to, to drive that. And then because of that, having that insight to know where you can fine tune the costs, um, where you need to maybe use more variable costs, less fixed costs, et cetera, to balance that out. So I sort of see that coming out. I don't know if I have a particular, dollar amount or whatever in mind, but just sort of seeing that difference. I often see that overlooked. Um, and then for any given business, different strengths, others. Um, it, my personality, for example, some some clients will find a certain aspect of their business model sort of running away from them and realizing, or for then I can sort of come in sort of help them realize, hey, you know, you only have so many dollars to serve this customer. Like say, if you're bringing in $100 from a customer, Maybe you can spend $80 in trying to serve them across your cost structure and front end 
to sort of give yourself that $20, you know, EBITDA margin in more of a service context. And then with that, you have enough to, you know, pay your bankers, reinvest for the future, pay yourself and so on. It keeps it healthy. If you do less than that, you feel like you have to cut corners. So the only way that, you know, 80% can happen, you can't have like a 50% cost structure because that 30% being devoted to the product itself is not going to be strong enough quality to drive that $100 coming in sustainably. So you try to have find, find the right mixes. Uh, potentially a, a long and there's almost a bit of a glorious uh, history with this for the entrepreneurs is potentially overspending, especially in the sales culture of a focus on like the whining and dining of clients, trying to find the mix of where is that effective versus where is that just slightly hiding your personal lifestyle spend through the business and not realizing that's holding the business back or you're not finding more effective ways mm. to have a you know, better marketing channel or better sales way of bringing those leads in. That's that's well said. Thank you. You've, you're training me, by the way. Um, I'm, I'm appreciating this because I, I mean, I'm I'm very frugal um, with, with how I do things. Uh, part of that is my upbringing. Part of that is just uh, I'm a pretty simple person. Um, and so I don't have to deal with that a lot, but I've definitely had clients where I could be more direct and helping them realize like, whoa, dude, like you're, you're spending way too much, um, on these, these processes. Um, and you know, you might, you might be better off simplifying, like you said, that, that runway for how you attract your clients, um, and bring them on board. So thank you for that. Um, you also brought up something that, that intrigued me a lot in terms of the entrepreneur who's at that shoestring budget wearing many hats, um, you know, working 24 seven, you know, or whatever the challenges that they're facing at those preliminary stages, Ryan, what, what, um, what good things are they experiencing? What green flags and what red flags are they experiencing? Where at that, they're at that point where they need to consider bringing you in as a, as a chief financial officer and as an advisor. Mm-hmm. Well, the green flag is like they've, they've figured out product market fit and that's like sort of the holy grail of the first um, startup phase. So it's not as hard to find in more of the kind of clients that I work with. I don't necessarily work with, you know, the cutting edge, new ideas, focus, um, though that's a little bit more, um, the, the, my, my peers in my MBA were very excited about that. My focus is often in, you know, just like it can be blue collar, but just more Main Street type businesses where the demand is very understood, you know, uh, if I list out the kind of products, you know, home renovations, car services, that sort of things, like things that, you know, 80% of our friends at a given moment are probably in the market for on a year to year basis. Mm-hmm. So in that case, it's a little bit more of a small business approach as opposed to startups and startup. You're trying to design your way into a new yeah. market, small business. You're more trying to, you're saying, Hey, there's a valid market here. We just need to do our job right. And then there will be the right demand. We just need to, you know, get our piece of it by, you know, finding that right angle or just sort of copying the competition enough that we can, you know, learn and grow up and mature a little bit. So probably the green flag is there. Like if you have that, you know, one million, two million, three million dollars of revenue coming through, it's probably still a bit cyclical or still a bit of erratic behavior there. You don't maybe have it fully predictable. But if you have that, it's like that's that's huge. You know, like you've already done so much and to get there. And sometimes it takes 10 years plus to get there. You know, you don't don't get too warped by the stories of, you know, on YouTube or Instagram or whatever, the person saying, oh, I did this in 90 days, you know, and there's going to be those stories all the time. And those are going to go viral. Sure. But a lot of the clients that I'll work with, like this is what they've delivered their lives to. Like they've just sort of picked a space and they've committed to it. And that's allowed them to, um, you know, they survived enough of the early issues and moved on. So that's what I say to me is that the green flags is like you've already come so far you've already hit the most difficult things you have the beginning you have a customer list you have a couple uh key people on your team that are really good at what they do some of them maybe aren't fully appreciated yet because they still have to do something they're good at and something they're bad at you know you're not a big enough company to let them just focus on what they're really really good at or give them the right tools potentially even for that so there's some of those are the green flags i'm seeing you know if you have five star reviews coming in or you have that kind of um, feedback from your customers, even if you're not systematizing how you collect and distribute those yet. Uh, that's a good sign that you're onto something. It's a good sign that you know how to uh, take care of those people that you're trying to serve. And so with that, it sort of is a, a validation that you should be in business, that if you went out of business, your competitors may not be able to serve your niche as well as you can. So you're serving community. And so like, then I'm just more than happy to help you grow and find those other people you haven't been able to serve yet. And figure those pieces out so some of the red flags are 
if you start to sort of think of it as like, oh, this is as far as I can go. So then you start to optimize for that. So for example, you assume, oh, okay, I'm here and I'm making this money so I can spend all of myself. It's like there's, there's no negative there, but you're not really necessarily building something that's going to grow into the next step. I've, I've talked with people where they're at one level and they're, they, they, they like some of the cash flow that they have and they like the idea of moving to the next level. Mm. But I'm not quite sure if they have the commitment to put in the time or reinvest the capital or even just um, culturally change a little bit from a I, from like a I or me approach to like a we or like team approach in how they lead the business. You know, so that can be hard. It can be hard to like let go of some of those pieces um, to sort of say, oh, I'm the owner of this business and I can accept the rules, but I will abide by the rules that I'm setting for the team because when I'm in the business. I'm going to have the same rights and responsibilities that my team member would be. Like if I'm, if I'm the GM and the lead salesperson, I'm not going to pretend to be the GM when I'm the salesperson, I'm going to follow our sales script or I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to unduly discount just to get the sale done because I'm the GM and I can do it. I'm going to, you know, stick to the plan, make sure that we don't use price erosion to, you know, devalue our brand in the marketplace, uh, but to sort of follow that rule or follow the sort of the structure that being done so um that's potentially a red flag is if you feel like the business is your your toy and you get to do with it what you want it's like that's fine but like the more you make something a hobby the less it serves others the less it serves others the less maybe value that you can build through it well said man and and then that creates a, a set of handcuffs for you to have to deal with um and it seems like you understand healthy balance healthy boundaries and <laughs> don't want in that relationship so smart wise uh, wise plan there. As business owners, we have the opportunity to say, you know what, am I am I doing this to the people I work with? Um, you know, and and how do I then shift my mindset so that I'm not um, creating problems like that? And we just had Shiraz on today as well, um, and he he's a manifestation coach, and he talked about doing an exercise where you write down um, why don't I want to dot 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 um, right as a framework for uncovering what our limitations are. So if I, why don't I want to allow Ryan Holden to audit my books, right? That's an example. Why don't I want to allow Ryan Holden or a CFO um, to, to go through my PL statements or to take a look at um, our, our cash flow? Um, there's, there's a lot of things that we can tell ourselves entrepreneurs to get ourselves to get out of our own way. Um, mm -hmm. So with that said, let's dive in uh, real quick to, What's your personal vision, Ryan? What do you, what do you see for yourself uh, over the, the coming years? So part of my vision is to sort of build alongside with my clients and to get to that point where I don't feel like I'm in that stage too, where I'm just trying to, you know, scrounge everything, figure everything out, do everything myself. I sort of feel like I'm part of a team and it's really neat, even that I'm just like a year or so plus or minus, depending on how you count the beginning um, into this, just already seeing, myself being a part of a team of the some of the clients I've worked with that I'm going to have to have even just a few months with in the trenches, figuring out some things, getting some wins for them. Um, but yeah, to just be able to go along with them and sort of have a part in that and take a uh, yeah, take um, take a piece of that potentially as well too, depending on the mix. Like a lot of my CEOs, and this maybe helps us transition to some broader topics potentially we might cover later in the call, but like a lot of my CEOs, they're, they're not the CEO you'll hear about in the paper or on the news. Like that CEO is often maybe even maligned a little bit in the current business environment. Um, but a lot of the CEOs are very more similar to, you know, you and me. It's just like they're just trying to do something for the family. They're trying to take care of something. They're really, really hard workers. They're really passionate and really knowledgeable about their field. Um, and they're just trying to do the best that they can. And it's like and they handle a lot of risk. They take a lot of hits. When something goes wrong, they're the ones that pay for it. Um, because the employee walks or, you know, they're, they're trying to deal with all these issues, transitions, new rules coming through. It's like, yeah, there's just so much that they care, they're care for. And so they just love to be able to, you know, take one piece of that, maybe one slice and then um, sort of insulate them from issues coming from that, uh, that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, speaking of these CEOs, like they're, they're not the sort of like the, oh, I built all of this, you know, I want to own all of it. I, you know, everybody else stay away. But I see a lot for those that have been in it for a little bit, like they do understand um, the people that they're working with, they love working with them too. They sort of have this team mindset, or at least the ones that I've gravitated to have 
And they're looking at things, even at, you know, considerable cost of the business of launching things like, you know, employee 401k plans that allow the employee to buy into the business. You know, there's some tax code things out there that allow some benefits for that to happen. Potentially it's more of something that's maybe more closer to the 10 million, $20 million a year mark that it starts to become a little bit more feasible, but there's some methods where there, where, you know, whether or not the employee wants it, it's like the owner sort of embraces and sees this value of ownership of, you know, democratization, so to speak, of equity and um, sort of owning a piece of the action. And they're wanting to share, you know, it's like they're they're very liberal and open in that way and that generosity. And so it's just really neat to see that. And that's part of my vision too. It's like, I love seeing that. Um, I grew up more in, you know, upper or lower middle class, depending on, you know, which towns I was in. Um, right. began a little bit more in the upper middle class side, but then I've seen enough where some more like lower middle class. So like there's, there's a bit of a mix of that, but definitely uh, in the U.S. we don't have, maybe it's emerging because of the dynamics that are changing in the in society around us, but we don't necessarily have a very, very large um, or like landed gentry class like you potentially read about in the past where we only hear about those people because those are the kind of people that had the higher rates of literacy or the leisure time to you know, self-report on these things compared to what we experience now where, you know, potentially three, five percent of the U.S. is ultra wealthy. And then you have another 10, maybe 15 percent upper middle class and then so on from there. Um, so it's a little bit more rare, but potentially it's changing with a little bit more of the content creator mindset as opposed to the nine to five wage earner mindset. People realizing that ownership is valuable. And even if they feel a little bit late to the table from a real estate ownership standpoint or industrial or manufacturing standpoint, there's still a lot of territory within the services um, or, you know, someone putting up a website or somebody's taking a claim in this particular social media site and niche and sort of getting to own a set of eyeballs. And then that set of eyeballs or attention becomes very, very valuable um, and can be, you know, resold or traded upon or invested in and gives this person an asset, you know, even if they didn't have, you know, 100K or 200K to buy into more of a legacy or older version of asset. But anyways, all these different ways of saying is like, I love looking at life, not just through a, I want to go to a job, clock in, clock out and live for the weekends, but it's like the, what, what am I here to steward and take care of? How can I sort of own that in a valuable way? And then with that, there's just so many options to finance it, um, distribute it and take pieces of it and give it to top employees, um, you know, give it to your kids. This is one reason why wealth is maybe sometimes more important than income when we talk about social concerns. You can't give your job to your kids, but you could give your business to your kids, you know? So there's a, a bit of a mix here. And I've always been attracted to a little bit more of that mindset ever since like reading, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad or other books of right. back in my preteens. Absolutely. I, I didn't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in my preteens. That's pretty cool that you did though. Um, and I'm glad once I did, it became a, a foundational uh, mindset shift for me. Um, so I'm glad you, I'm glad you give some credit to the reference for those who are on the path and journey. I'm going to break down a number of things that you talked about, Ryan, because it was just, it was so impressive and there was so much that was there. One, when you first talked about slices, one of the things that caught my attention was that you weren't referring to the slice of the pie of the equity. You were referring to taking the weight of the, the pressure and the responsibilities off the shoulder of the entrepreneur. At least that's what I heard. Yes. Um, you talk fast. So I was trying to keep it all together, but I was like, I was like, oh man, this is a, a finance guy who understand who, who feels an empathy towards those he serves. That's, that's really cool and helpful. It also reminded me, I was like, huh, I was like, that's the, that's ultimately one of the greatest signs that somebody's moved their mindset towards being a chief, um, right? The chief finance officer. Um, a lot of people receive that uh, title because they should, right? That's what you should do on your next step in your career. But there's a difference between should and could, um, and your ability to pursue it. I see you stepping into that role as like, this is a, I could do this. Um, so therefore I will not because society's pressuring you to climb, climb the ranks, but you're looking at business very holistically. And that's, I, I admire that. Like I'm, I'm eating it up, man. It's cool. So you can stop. Yeah, I appreciate you calling that out. So it's like, I definitely gravitate to, and I see things from the finance perspective, but I was recently talking with a client. He's like, Oh, what are your top five things? And I thought about it and I realized two of them are finance. One of them is accounting, but the other two are ops and HR. So it's like, 
sort of that that piece of you know i don't just come in and it's like if i came into your business and i just looked at the numbers and just the number stuff and finance stuff it's like i'd be bored like i'd still be in corporate i don't want to do that no it's like i i love the cfo part and it's, it's a bit of a misnomer it's like you know it if you look at my experience i'm more equivalent to like a finance manager or controller or accounting manager in corporate but it's like the cfo part is because of that context i see the full picture and how it relates across the different dimensions right. it's like when i'm talking to you about finance it's not just about like oh let's do this because this is financial engineering or this is how i can talk with your bankers or your accounts on your behalf i can actually have that language with you but it's more like if your ops manager is on the call, I can tell them what does this mean for margin? Does this mean that this is a good client for us to take on or not? I can talk with your salesperson, marketing person. You know, what's our cost to acquire a customer? What's our customer lifetime value? So our CAC or CLTV. Um, and then how does that relate? What does that sort of tell us about where we're, where we have gaps? Because what we don't want to do is have, you know, three things that are going well and one thing that's holding everything back. And then just keep on putting more resources into three things that are going well. And that's not really going to change anything. You put the resources into the gap that's holding you back, fix that, and all of a sudden you sort of have this highway where everything's smooth and flowing forward. So, yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that. I just love well the said. connections within that. You know, that sort of allow me to handle, sort of own the accounting piece, or sort of help yeah. whatever the keeping team is in place own that accounting piece, and then make it you know play nice with the other groups so that sales and operations now have a full team around them. They're not just feeling like they have to do the work by themselves. It's it's going to help me. Uh, I'm telling you right now, it's going to help me in the future as I continue to evaluate chief financial officers, because I, I think sometimes we give the chief technology officer and the chief financial officer the like, well, they get the title because we need one. Um, but we don't necessarily put the time and attention on helping them develop the leadership skills they need. And you've been I mean, it's kind of clear that you've been rocking that part. So. Um, thank you for that. Um, I'm also going to point out too. So Sound Finance, did you say Sound Finance has existed for a year now? Um, the the personal LLC really does sort of just a risk structure for behind it. That's been a year and a half now. That's sort of my shift from W2 work to a mix of like consulting work and this. And then I recently okay. rebranded into uh, Sound Finance to just um, figure it out. That was a little bit more of the direction I wanted to head. Um, I happen to live in the Puget Sound, which is a beautiful area north of Seattle, um, all the way up into Canada, that whole area right there. So there's sort of a geographic uh, link there as well. So yeah, that's that's my company. And I'm currently the, the group CFO. I like the term group CFO. It's sort of a, the reciprocal of the fractional CFO space that I am in. For all of my clients, I'm fractional for them, but then I see them as a group together. And so, so for me, I can sort of learn something from one of them, um, apply it to another right. one. Like I get to be in the space sometimes a couple of oh, times. Nice. Other times I'm learning something from somebody that's really good at sales. And then I go to another um, company that's much better at operations and then I can sort of mix and match how they see things, how they learn. So it's like, I love that group aspect. It gives me the variety and independence in my work that I appreciate. So anyways, yeah, for now, it's, it's it me, creates bro. harmony. It creates harmony that's healthy yes. and important for, for most businesses that that oftentimes often try to stifle that um, and eliminate that from happening. So I, I, re I really like that. Smart marketing. Um, smart marketing is often uh, coercion, persuasion or invitations that allows us to see things in a new light that we can otherwise catch. So I like mm. it. Um, let me go to, so what I was going to say with that too, though, is that the, it's neat because yes, we're going to be serving those who are at the three to 5 million and beyond head of that hundred million, but you're going through the experience right now, um, of understanding what it's like to start things from scratch. Um, and so the, the empathy is building as you go, even though you've, you've got a pretty strong base of that already yet. That's fun, man. I'm excited for you. I'm excited to see where it, where it ends up over the next 10 years. Um, so Let's talk about um, it, this can be your personal worst business experience ever or the worst business experience you've kind of witnessed, um, you know, obviously protect the brands um, in this equation. But um, mm -hmm. so that the entrepreneur is in that again, that phase three to five ahead of the hundred million. You know, what's a breakdown that you've experienced that that could have been avoided? Mm -hmm. uh well, there's a set of financials I once reviewed and um, I only had a short window of interacting with this particular business. So there's not necessarily some longitudinal weight to it, uh, but it was a company that basically needed to cut their overhead in half and triple their volume to make sense. 
So it's like they were operating, they were operating in startup mode, but they didn't realize it. And so for me, just seeing that, like, I, I, I just saw the writing on the wall and I just don't know at what point that, you know, they're not going to be able, be able to make payroll or one of their creditors is going to call them out on it. Or one of their big vendors is going to say, no, I'm not delivering you anything more. And they have to like shut down a job, lose some customer deposits, et cetera. But just sort of seeing that the business had made it that far was quite an education for me because I tend to be more, which hopefully you want in your CFO, a little bit more risk averse, a little bit more wanting to like yeah. play defense and go from strength to strength. This person was just more like a firebrand, like let's make it happen and we'll figure it out after we go along. Yeah. And so for me, I, I hope that it's not one of those cases where this person was just putting all these things together, causing a lot of, you know, um, removing the money between the shell, sort of the shell game, the pearl and shell game, making it look like things were happening and for all I know, like my most, based off of what I saw there, I feel like there's a couple options. One is, you know, it burns and blows up. Um, but a potential side thing of this would be the opposite of the kind of CEOs I like with, to work with, where this person potentially is not the true steward of the business. They put the business together, they run it off of their credit and other people's credit, and they pay themselves a salary along the way. And they just understand that at some point it's going to break because they're running it that way into crashing. like. Like if you look at like some of those months that um, this was a seasonal business, so they should be have stronger volume during the, like the late spring, summer months, et cetera. Even in some of the months that should have been good, they were having negative gross profits. It was like not even their jobs that they were doing. They weren't even breaking even on those. And so then mm -hmm. couple that with like a hundred thousand dollar a month overhead and you're not really going anywhere. If you're anywhere, you're going deeper into the ground and they didn't really have the, right awareness to turn around. So the person I was talking with that has sort of already had some of that accounting relationship with the company before me, they'd mentioned that they'd said some of these things, but evidently with either not the way to cause a turnaround or the person just wasn't accepting it. So for me, uh, it didn't affect me personally because I was more potential advisor, ships passing the night, had sort of a touch point into the business, got to review their financials. Um, but for me, that's, that's a sad story of the opposite of this where you know, say the mortgage crisis happens, all of a sudden we're blaming Wall Street. It's like we see Wall Street, I've seen Wall Street level techniques, even in small businesses. You know, you, you play a Wall Street trap sure. if you if you buy a house on a mortgage that you don't understand and can't afford. And the moment you lose your job, you want somebody else to foot the bill. You play a Wall Street type of game. If you run a business like this, try to t tell everybody else it's all working and then disappear with your slightly maybe overpaid salary and let the sellers and customers and government try to pick up the tab while you declare bankruptcy and then go start the game again next year. So I hope that's not the case, but that was the most likely thing that I saw happening with that business. Mm -hmm. If somebody is just willing to take all the risk, try things, they'll use their ownership leverage to pay themselves the salary that they want. And if things go bad, they use bankruptcy or something else like that to just bounce and try again without maybe learning any of the lessons. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I would say that I don't I, I don't want to throw myself in that bucket too harshly um, and with my past businesses. But at Restaurant Connect, um, you know, we we did not have the finances coming in. Um, you know, we learned that the hard way. We weren't looking at the, the numbers, the financial numbers until we were about a month in and realized we were just burning cash left and right. And it was it was um you know my business partner's wife who looked into it and started to see like wow you guys really aren't doing this the right way and it took us three years to get to where we were at thirty-six thousand in recurring monthly revenues um and so i think it's it, there's a fine line there you know there's there's jk mm -hmm. rowling who wrote a who wrote a book on a napkin and became a billionaire um i'm sure she got some financial advice along the way um you know and, and figured out more beyond the napkin um but you know it's at one you're right it's the cfo's job to sound the alarm um, you know, to make sure we're aware of what's going on. And we would have we would have not made it. I can't imagine what situation my family would have been put in had uh, Jen, in that case, not looked at the finances for Restaurant Connect. Um, then when Own Local, my company prior to that, we were down to five hundred and thirty seven dollars in the bank account um, and still trying to, to put things together. I closed a couple of deals uh, for the, the, uh, the organization. It was about 30, I don't know, $33,000 in re instant revenues. But Paul Bukite, Matt Cutts ended up investing $10 million in our company two weeks later. We'd have never made it. 
without that investment. Um, you know, we were we were toast. We were they were already planning the exit and had told me not to come back to work to close those deals. I bring that up because yes, there's there's risk involved in building mm -hmm. companies, but if you can start learning the principles of wise stewardship, you use that you use that term earlier, being a steward um, in the process, then it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be as risky as we often make it out to be if we're willing to learn the lessons and the rules that, that people like you are capable of providing. So yeah. let's talk about staying independent on the $100 million journey um, and, and how you go about doing that responsibly. We don't have time to crack every code for you, um, for those who are mm -hmm. listening, but um, in addition to the best experience in business, I'd rather shift gears and say, for those businesses who wanna stay independent and wanna go on a $100 million journey, you got five minutes, Ryan, how do we do it? So I'll begin with a question that I heard in my more startup focused MBA. Would you rather own 100% of a $5 million business or 20% of a $100 million business? And I think that's part of the key question here. Like it doesn't mean that you have to necessarily um, partner up with a VC or private equity, but sort of the question of, am I willing to, to share? Am I willing to take a piece of the pie and realize that others have their claim? Like, do you want to sit at a table with just your family and then you guys are all eating and you own everything on the table? Or do you want to sit at a banquet hall with, you know, 25 of your closest friends and you're out there all having a blast and there's more enough, more than enough food for everybody. So it's sort of like, you need, you need to culturally know what you want. Maybe this changes over time. Maybe this changes. Maybe there's a business that's a pet project. You never want to take that past you owning hundred percent. Maybe another business is more like you see the potential for growth and you really want to bring partners on. Like you, you got to realize how can I make space at the table for those partners to get what they want? Sometimes it's equity, sometimes it's upside, sometimes it's um, partnership deals that can be creatively structured that don't necessarily rely so much on the usual, you know, cash or equity, but sort of realizing that cultural shift of what is needed to get to that level. Cause you, you can't retain full control, full access, um, full personal preference, and then expect to grow beyond yourself. Like, you need to be able to like commit to a code or sort of figure out what am I willing to give up? What, what structure, what rules am I willing to follow in order to make this business work better than myself? So um, I think that's probably the first thing to sort of have that self-awareness in there. Um, but then beyond that, it starts um, going to realize, okay, how, how do we take that first step? Um, Jackson, I think you mentioned about, you know, what's, what's stopping, any particular person from wanting to, you know, have me take a look, you know, maybe there's an implied sense of, does this feel like a defeat? Does this feel like I'm giving up? Does this feel like I might, you know, show that I'm stupid or whatever. It's like, you know, none of that really matters. Cause it's like, I've seen plenty of financials, like it's, it's messy. It's chaotic. That's what life is. So it's like, I'm not going to blame you for wherever you are. It's like the, the blame potentially is if you have the information to do something about it and you don't, the blame isn't necessarily where you are right now, but it's whether or not you're letting that, get in the way of where you want to be and where you want to push things forward so a lot of it comes down to you know personal fit etc but it's, it's tough you know because like a hundred million dollar business they have to operate a lot better in certain ways than a five million dollar business a five million dollar business it can operate based i think that's an understatement i'm just guessing <laughs> i haven't been there at that level so yeah i mean it's, it's, it's pretty different isn't it right right it's much, it's much more tiered and you sort of also have this shift of instead of being a group of generalists that are all like the ride or die, like this is what we got to do because we sort of started with this company. You have a couple of generalists that have to transition into people like myself that can sort of accept the general part, but then start to divvy out um, in more very specific structured ways who's supporting this, you know. So at the beginning, you don't like titles, do they really matter? Like you all have relationships and you all understand the business and you all sort of have your part over time and it makes a little bit more sense not because of title inflation or egos or anything but because you want somebody to be in each spot doing what they need to do so they can hand over to the next person down the value chain and work together as a team you know so like if you're playing one-on-one -on -one basketball you got to do a little bit of everything if you're playing five on five and you're you know you're no no good at shooting threes but you're standing out of the three-point line it's like you're not helping your teammate um compared to knowing your role knowing what you want to play so a lot of that is more I touched on maybe the personal side and the team side, but then you get a structure and like some things that maybe always don't exist. They definitely don't exist as, exist as a separate role. And you maybe see them once a year, a couple times a year, things like human resources or finance, specifically strategic finance, or some of those pieces that 
get beyond like a monthly bookkeeping or looking at a PL. A lot of those things you can, you know, you can drive by a napkin or you can you know, fly by the seat of your pants at that size because you have enough awareness of what the business is doing. But if you've already built out into, you know, multiple cities or you have multiple product lines, it's like averages no longer work just looking at the cash amount in your bank. It's not really going to help you because that doesn't tell the full story. You need to be able to track what is causing that, what's coming in, what's going out. Why is that happening? What are the activities driving that? And which ones are really making you strong? Because like the companies, it can be hard to tease out. Should my focus be on revenue or should it be on gross profit? Should it be on operating profit? Should it be on net profit? Should it be on cash flow? You know, there's going to be a mix and different seasons will have different reasons for looking at different of those. And from a holistic standpoint, especially if you're running a 50 million, hundred million dollar business, you should be seeing those in a timely way, multiple of them at once. So you have all those perspectives in play as you make decisions. So it's like, it gets more and more structured that way. And that's wow. where you need potentially somebody with my toolkit to sort of help map that together. Whereas if you're running a $3 million business, you understand, you know, your top 20 clients by name, you can, you have them on speed dial, you know, everybody in your organization, you don't necessarily need the kind of cohesion or plan right. that um, the cohesion or, you know, coordinating things together that a really solid plan and structure will get you. But once you don't know everybody in your company on a first name basis, once you can't like tie things together, once you have multiple managers doing the same things, butting heads, you know, running into each other, like you're, you're no longer going to be operating at the same level. You have to have a different playbook. So for me, often it just sort of comes back to like the, let's use the flow of money and the numbers to sort of tell the story. What is it going on in the business? But I've, you know, I didn't, I wasn't born an accountant. I didn't begin this way. I did blue collar jobs all the way through college. My dad's more of a jack of all trades sort. So it's like, I come definitely from the other side of it. Um, a lot of my family members are teachers. So I just sort of have that hard to teach built into me. So it's like, if I'm working yeah. with you as a CEO, it's just like, I'm here to try to, I'm not trying to hear, you know, hold the cards closely to me and just try to give you the secrets that, you know, can get you to um, look good enough that you kind of want to keep on paying me or anything. It's like, I want to teach you about it. I want to let you know what I see um, potentially if you want to learn. Potentially you work with me for a few months and you're like, Hey, I figured this out. This is what we need for now. Um, that was great, but maybe we'll see you in a couple of years. You know, like my goal isn't to necessarily lock people into working with me long time. I love it. I love that sort of That'll happen naturally. aspect of it, but yeah, I'm also here to teach to just sort of like, you'll point the way I'm not, I don't think what I know is like um, private or unique or anything like that, but I, I have the holistic view there and I found that it helps unlock for my clients um, that shift of stepping into that next piece that they're less familiar with. Like they're definitely the industry experts, they know the operation piece, but I can, I can speak to that. Like I've, I've seen enough that yeah. um, there's earlier this year, I was talking with a client, actually my first interview or maybe no, my first interview was just been with the CEO, but then I had to repeat one with more of a panel interview situation. And within like 15 minutes into the call, they asked me if I'd been working in their industry for 10 years. I was like, no, I've never worked in your industry. But that's what happens when you have the right person in the room talking to you about what they're expert about. And so maybe I can be that person for you. Maybe there's somebody that you already know, a friend, a family member that you need to reach out to, that you trust, that you can sort of bring in, help sort of be that second pair of eyes. You know, we're all going to have our blind spots. And I think for me, part of the whole idea of group is we can get beyond just being, you know, individuals having to do it alone, figure it all out, um, compared to maybe bringing a little bit more formality to bring others in. So that as more of a team approach, uh, we can develop and move on. And then from what I've seen, you know, hitting that 10, 20, 50, $100 million level, there just keeps on being more and more value that you can pull it out of. There is the potential there. In most cases, you're not running out of your market. Unlike, you know, these billion dollar startups that are putting so much funding behind something for them, it's important to understand how big their market is for a lot of mainstream businesses. You don't necessarily need to know because there's always more room. Like, you know, there, there's so many mistakes going on in business that if you can make just a few mistakes less than the person next to you, there's a lot of opportunity for you. So I, I love finding those people that have figured out his recipe that's maybe just a few mistakes better than average. And then we can just keep on de developing that, building that out and, you know, ultimately giving better options to the customers that we're serving. When I was 22 years old, I could tell what a rock star you were just by the amount of passion you throw down as you speak, Ryan. Um, now that I'm 36 years old, um, I can I can hear it as well. Uh, I do want to circle. But I mean, we're out of time. But guys, if you're listening into this right now, um, I just I hope you see 
the the wisdom that exists and what Ryan is sharing for growth at all levels. Do you do you play an instrument, Ryan? Are you a musician? I don't really think of myself as a musician, but yeah. What I do you play? play? Piano, like Percussion piano. or what? Uh, piano, classical. Piano. Okay. I've never met somebody. Um, everybody I've ever met that's extremely intelligent tends to play an instrument. Um, and so I, I had to ask. I'm sure I'm looking forward to the day I meet the person who's not a musician that has your level of intelligence because I'm sure they exist. But um, I, I digress a little bit. You talked about this, would you rather? You talked about the culture and the banquet halls. I love that. I never thought about that before. You talked about moving from the ride or die to the structure. And it's funny because if you look at Bass and the Furious, which is one of the biggest coiners for the, the ride or die scenario, they went through the same process of creating structure throughout a series of movies where, you know, it just takes off more and more to greater levels. Even they went through it. So um, moving from ride or die to structure. Now, um, you're, what you're putting out there, you said you're, you're, you have the ability to be private with what you do, but you're not. You said you're not unique. I don't believe that for a second. Um, and I will, you're not supposed to argue with your guests, but I'm gonna argue with that. You are unique. Um, and those businesses who are looking to hire you are going to be very lucky and fortunate to work with you, uh, because of that passion, because of that real roundness, round roundness you have. I don't end these shows by promoting my guests and saying, Hey man, like, you know, I, I, I hope everybody works with you and blah, blah, blah. But there's one of you that exists and there's, thousands and thousands, if not millions of businesses at the level with which you're working at and know your ability to dive from dive into what's necessary at the hundred million dollar mark compared to being able to focus in and isolate on the, the difference in business at the three to five million. It's unique. Um, and I really appreciate you coming on, sharing that with the, the I got to run. You know that I already told you I got to go pick up my daughter. I'm excited. I get to go spend some time with, with my little daughter, daddy, daughter date night. But if I could talk to you for another hour, I would because this was magical. Thanks, Jackson. Happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Vision Pros, you guys have a fantastic day. Feel free to drop comments, uh, questions in the comments too. I'm sure Ryan and I would be happy to put looms together for you. Basically, recorded videos to do that. And I will be bringing Ryan on in the future if he will uh, bless us with more of his time. It would be super fun. So you guys have a fantastic evening. Ryan, thanks for being here. Thank you for being here today. I'm really happy that you tuned in to Vision Pros Live. I'm looking forward to seeing your reactions as these episodes continue to move forward. This is going to get more and more fun. We'll have more and more engagement as well. We'll invite people to participate in the show. And thank you 